0: island conversations brought to you by kta superstores where you're someone special every day since 1916 now here's your host and producer sherry bracken
1: Aloha, good morning. Welcome to Island Conversations. To remind you, we're here on Sundays on the radio on the Big Island of Hawaii on KWXX and on B97, B93. And the interviews rebroadcast the following Friday on KPUA 670 AM in Hilo. But you may hear Island Conversations anytime as a podcast at kwxx.com or at b97hawaii.com or wherever you get podcasts. Kona Best Shalom, the Jewish Congregation on the west side of the Big Island has a Torah that survived the Holocaust and somehow made its way to Hawaii. I was fascinated by the story, and obviously filmmaker Sarah Neely was as well, because she's made a documentary about it, that will show in Kona at Pirateers Cove on Saturday, November 9th at 6 p.m. Today we're going to learn more about the Torah and about the film. Dr. Barry Blum is an orthopedic surgeon in Kona and a founding member of Kona Beshalom. Good morning. Aloha, Dr. Blum.
2: Good morning. Good to see you.
1: Sarah Neely is a former Big Island resident now in the San Francisco area and has made a documentary film about this Torah. Sarah, aloha, welcome. Aloha, kahakiaka. Well, I'm really glad you came back to the Big Island to talk about this. First of all, Barry, I'd like to start with, what is Kona be Shalom?
2: Kona Beth Shalom is a group of Jewish people who get together to be Jewish. <laughs> Our congregation began around nineteen eighties. There were Jewish people here before then, but they started to gather and get together for worship services primarily. The Jews observe the Sabbath on Saturdays, so instead of doing it every Saturday, which is more traditional here in Hawaii every day is Shabbos, every day is a wonderful day. We get together once a month and gather. As part of that process we sing songs, we tell stories, and we read from the Torah.
1: Before we go to the Torah, there are other Jewish congregations here on the Big Island of Hawaii, are there not?
2: Yes, there are. There is an Orthodox congregation called Chabad. They're on the west side, and they meet, I believe, in the rabbi's home every Saturday and for various Jewish holidays. There is an offshoot of our congregation that meets once every Friday night up north at the Mauna Kea for a Friday evening service. And there's an occasional get together in Hilo also.
1: Dr. Barry Blum, what is a Torah? What's its role in the Jewish faith?
2: Torah has several meanings. But what we're talking about is a scroll. It's called a Sefer Torah. And the scroll is written on sheepskin parchment and it contains the first five books of the Jewish Bible and those five books are written out on a Torah scroll. These are the central laws of Judaism, basically that Godness is oneness, it has all of the laws, it has all of the commandments, there are positive commandments, uh, negative commandments, the Ten Commandments are the best known, but there are many other commandments, 613 to be exact. I had
1: no idea. 613 commandments?
2: Yes, and the 613th (laughs) commandment is, Thou shalt write a Torah in your lifetime. You're kidding. I wouldn't kid you. Oh my gosh. Right, and so uh, many of us have had the opportunity to fulfill that commandment. We don't have to write the whole scroll, but we write one letter from the scroll when our own scroll was restored back in 2006. But that is the central collection of all of the laws of uh, Judaism, which have become basic tenets of the three monotheistic faiths and most of Western civilization.
1: When you say the three monotheistic faiths, what are you talking about? Well,
2: Judaism, Christianity, and the Muslim religion. And they all observe and revere the Torah as the source of these words. If you are traditional and you uh, believe the stories, the Torah was given to Moses on Mount Sinai by God when the Israelites left Egypt way back when. And Moses, I guess, committed it to memory and then wrote down certainly the Ten Commandments in stone. And then later on, the words were codified and were written down on, on scrolls.
1: You know, it's interesting, in many faiths, that use the Bible as their holy book. I mean, one can have a Bible in one's home, or many Bibles, I mean, they come in all sizes. But Torahs are typically only found at a synagogue or somehow in safekeeping for a Jewish congregation, right?
2: Well, Well, that's right. The first five books of the Bible comprise the same words that are in the Torah. And then there's a lot more to the Bible. Now, you might imagine that uh, there are disagreements about certain details of religious faith. Of course, that's probably leads to most of the problems in the world today. (laughs) So the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible are, they differ in some ways. The Torah itself is pretty consistent. It's copied down meticulously from one generation to another generation, from one scribe to another scribe. It's pretty carefully kept. And that's the first five books. And these are recorded on the scroll, but there are book versions and people have them in their house. So you can actually read the same words that are in the Torah in a book in almost any language that you want.
1: And that would be the first five books of any Bible. Correct. Dr. Barry Blum, Kona Shalom has this Torah that we're talking about that survived the Holocaust. What is the history of this particular Torah? What do you know about it?
2: I can tell you the history way back when, and I can also give you the more modern. Let me start with the modern. The congregation began in 1985. I only got here in 1986. Before that, the congregation would meet, and they would use a little Torah scroll that was printed, not the traditional religious version of it, but it served the purpose for it. And then my predecessors on the board of the congregation applied to the Jewish Federation to receive a Torah scroll. A Torah scroll is pretty special. It takes a year or a year and a half to write. If you want to buy one, you have to ask a sofa, that's the scribe, to write it. It costs a lot of money. And they applied to get one of the scrolls that was rescued from the Holocaust to be brought to Kona. And it was brought here in 1985 by a man named Mark Talisman, who was a wonderful man. He was involved with the founding of the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. He brought it to Kona on a United Airlines flight in its own first class seat. Whoa. And it arrived here and it was dedicated Accompanied by uh, many local dignitaries and functionaries, the mayor, the, the governor wasn't here at that time, but there were the senators and other people who were here. I've seen the newspaper describing it. And it was a beautiful ceremony, and it was brought here to be used by the congregation on a regular basis.
1: Well, I understand that when it arrived, Senator Daniel Kayanoe was involved. Uh, Spark Matsunaga was still alive at the time. Exactly right. And, I mean, so this was a a big deal. And and Patsy Mink, Congresswoman Patsy Mink, who— We sort of all revere as not only a huge participant in Title IX legislation, which made sure that everybody was treated fairly relative to sports funding, but just she did a lot for the state of Hawaii, as did Senator Inouye, as did Spark Matsunaga.
2: And there was even a princess from the Hawaiian royal family that was here when it when it arrived. So it arrived; it was brought to Honolulu, it was used for a bar mitzvah there, and then it was brought over to Kona, where it was installed, so to speak in the community here and it's been used ever since then.
1: Well, both of you are very engaged in this. Sarah Neely, you were enchanted enough or intrigued enough by this story to make a documentary film. And I'm curious to understand, you know, this is a Torah that was created, I understand, maybe in the sixteen hundreds. You know, where has it been since the sixteen hundreds? How did it survive the Holocaust when Everything Jewish was, in fact, being, and people were being destroyed by the Nazis. So help us understand the early, early history of this.
2: So there was a congregation in, Czechoslo- in what used to be Czechoslovakia, in the southern part of Czechoslovakia, a city called Polna. And there was a Jewish community there. And at different times during the life of that community, the Jews were restricted to a ghetto. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. But generally, it was an OK place. And 250 to 350 years ago, probably some family was celebrating some wonderful event and they decided to commission a, the writing of a Torah. So the Torah was written and it was probably a great event like we had here. It was brought to the congregation, to the synagogue in Polna, and was used there regularly. In 1920, so the last rabbi left the area. It turns out that when the ghetto was opened up and the Jews were no longer restricted, a lot of them moved away. So the congregation there became like our congregation. They would bring a rabbi in from the big city for the high holidays, and they continued to use the Torah. And then in the 1930s, the Nazis began to do their terrible stuff in Germany and surrounding countries, and. Towards the end of the 30s, the early 40s, they realized that any scroll that was left in a small community might be destroyed when that community was going to be destroyed. So they sent a lot of their precious items to what they hoped would be safekeeping in Prague. At the same time, the Nazis were planning to build a museum to a dead race. Fortunately... The Nazis didn't win. But the warehouse where these Torah scrolls and other items were stored stayed in Prague. And at the end of the war, kind of everybody forgot about it. And during the communist rule there, the synagogue was left to rot and the warehouse was left to rot. And then it was uncovered in the 60s. And they found this treasure trove of over a thousand Torah scrolls. Some of them were damaged beyond repair, some had blood stains on them. Some of them were possible to repair and they were brought to a synagogue in London, Westminster Synagogue, where sofers went over these scrolls and restored them as best as they could. Then they were made available to congregations around the world on permanent loan. We don't own this Torah. It belongs to the Jewish Museum in Prague and it's been given to us for safekeeping on permanent loan. So our scroll is 250 to 350 years old, and when you look at it, you see different portions of it have slightly different handwriting styles. And we don't know too much about that. Some of these pages may have been damaged and then repaired, taken from other Torahs, but Everybody who has seen this scroll realizes that it's a beautiful work of art as well as history, as well as spirituality.
1: So, Dr. Blum, you've kind of intrigued me. You said that even before the 1900s, the Jewish people in this small Czechoslovakian town were relegated to a ghetto. So the Jewish people were discriminated against even prior to the
2: Nazis. Oh, yes. Since Constantine the Great, there's been anti-Semitism there has been anti semitism And it's a strange phenomena, but it's existed everywhere. It turns out that Polna itself has a mixed history. And at times, the local prince was very kind to the Jews, and at other times, was hostile to the Jews. So they lived in ghettos. Sometimes they couldn't live in the ghetto. Sometimes they could. My wife and I visited Polna, and we went to the ghetto and we went to the synagogue. And several other members of our congregation have since been to Polna and uh, seen this place. It's a sweet town. There are no Jews there now. The Christians who are living there now protect the synagogue and protect the cemetery there. And it's now a museum and children from all over Czechoslovakia and from Europe come to the synagogue to learn about the Holocaust. So they see the actual history of the Holocaust, they see what went on, they get to learn about anti-Semitism, they get to learn about the Nazi era and the Holocaust so that it will never happen again.
1: And a brief interruption after those thoughtful comments. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. We're talking about the Torah that Kona be Shalom currently protects and how it got to West Hawaii with filmmaker Sarah Neely, who's made the documentary Blackfire Whitefire about its journey and its restoration and Dr. Barry Blum of Kona be Shalom. Sarah will premiere the documentary Saturday, November 9th at Pirateer's Cove at 6. You may make reservations for the free showing at blackfirewhitefire.com. Next week, we'll be talking Talking about medical aid in dying, the new law in Hawaii that allows people with terminal illnesses to choose the time of their death. Dr. Norm Goody and Dr. Charlotte Sharfin will help us understand. Before we get back to our discussion with Dr. Barry Blum and Sarah Neely, a word from our wonderful sponsor, KTA Superstores.
0: At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local, so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA.
1: Let's get back to our conversation with Sarah Neely and Dr. Barry Blum.
2: The Christians who are living there now, we've been in constant touch with them, and we've sent them information about Hawaii And we're actually hoping to receive some of them in Hawaii next year.
1: Pretty cool. Yes. Now, one other question. You said that many, many Torahs, many, many important documents to the Jewish faith were sent to Prague for safekeeping, showing my ignorance of what happened during World War II. Was Prague undamaged? How did this location survive with all these precious documents?
2: Prague was actually not damaged during the war it's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful old city. There's an old ghetto in Prague itself. This warehouse was apparently safe, but it was not protected from the elements. So the things that were kept inside deteriorated.
1: Sarah Neely, there are many inspiring things in the world. And as a documentary filmmaker, I'm sure you have choices. So what was your inspiration to make a documentary about this particular Torah, your documentary being called Black Fire, White Fire, and You're going to show it in Kona at Pirateer's Cove next Saturday, November 9th at 6 o'clock. But what inspired you to make this documentary?
3: Well, my family moved to Hawaii in 1999. One of the first things we did was to see if there was a congregation here, and we found Kona Beth Shalom, which at the time was meeting in the beautiful garden area of the former Keaho Beach Resort, which is no more, but it was such a beautiful place for services. We went to services. We opened our prayer books. At this one service, I noticed that I had a slip of paper in my book. And I looked at my children's books and my husband, and we all had a little slip of paper. And on the paper were names and a number. I think mine was Helena Ropova, 45. And it suddenly dawned on me that these were people. During the course of the service, we learned that these were the people from Polna who were wiped out in the Holocaust. That were members of the congregation that prayed with this Torah. And because there was no congregation remaining to say the memorial prayer, the Kaddish, for them, one of the things that Konebeth Shalom had taken on was to perform this mitzvah or commandment of remembering them. And as we say in Hawaii, I got chicken skin and tears. That was actually what I called the beginning of the film right then.
1: Why the name Black Fire, White Fire?
3: The ancient sages had many, I mean, there's so many interpretations and writings about Torah. One of them that really fascinates me is the discussion of the actual writing, the ink on the parchment. And some of the ancient sages describe that as Black Fire on White Fire. Black Fire meaning everything that we can see that is real and tangible, the physical plane that we live in. And then the white being that which is unseen, unknown by us, we can only begin to think of, but that realm, and that's white fire. Many of them could actually read the white spaces, or the negative space, as well as the black letters, the words. Pretty fascinating concept, and it just intrigued me.
1: For those of us who are going to get an opportunity to see the film now or at some time in the future, tell us a little bit about it.
3: Well, it is a documentary, so it's not, you know, it's not a feature film, it's not a movie, people are not cast in the roles. Barry Blum plays himself. He is one of the wonderful uh, narrators of the film through his storytelling. And it is a story, you know, and in Hawaii, we love storytelling and Jewish people also are rather fond of storytelling. So it's a perfect match. In fact, one of the themes, I think, that really became clear to me as I worked on the film, documentaries are interesting because you don't necessarily script them. You research, and you write, and things kind of bubble up and become really clear, and they sort of tell you where it's going. And one of the things that bubbled up was how perfect it was that this Torah, which had been through so much, ended up in what we would call in Jewish Gan Eden, or paradise, and that it's sort of its reward for its rough journey.
1: Dr. Blum, you've spoken of how when this Torah and other objects were in Prague. They were not protected from the elements. Hawaii's humidity and acid air, less acid now that our volcano is not so active, that's really not conducive to preservation of anything. So how is Kona Shalom protecting it now to make sure it will continue to exist?
2: Well, the truth is that using the Torah protects it. If this Torah was wrapped up in a closet, it would deteriorate. Our Torah is older than the Declaration of Independence. That piece of parchment is in a helium-filled box in Washington where it's never touched. We touch our scroll every month, and more often than that, we unroll the entire scroll once a year and re-roll it. We try not to handle it with our fingers, but the moisture keeps the sheepskin moist. Now, I looked it up, and there are... 304,805 letters in the Torah. Mm
1: -hmm. And And who counted?
2: Listen, (laughs) they pay attention to every letter, and every letter has a numerical value. That's called gematria. So that when you're reading the Torah, there's the meanings of the words, and then you talk about the white space, Mm -hmm. you count the meanings of the numbers of each word, and you can come up with entire other messages. So, this is a document that's been studied by sages for thousands of years. They come up with all sorts of ideas. If one letter is imperfect of that 304,000, then theoretically the whole Torah is no longer kosher. Now, you can still read it, you can still use it. But our intention is to keep it pure, keep it kosher, keep it usable. So periodically it has to be restored. And so what Sarah captured was the restoration when our Torah was sent to Florida. You know, Jewish people like to go to Florida for the winter. (laughs) So we sent our Torah to Florida to be restored by a scribe. And he brought it back to Kona for all of us to be able to see it. And fulfill the mitzvah of being able to write in the scroll. So we all wrote letters in the scroll. Now we didn't write it ourselves. The scribe held the feather quill and we held on to the feather of the quill as he wrote it, which was as if we wrote it ourselves. Governor Linda Lingle was present. She did a magnificent job at this. She was tearful at this presentation. And the letters that she Inked in were of course Lamed Lamed or LL. That's
1: totally fascinating, and I am sure for people who were part of this Jewish congregation who had a chance to participate in this restoration, that had to be super moving.
2: Oh, it was, and I'm sure. And, and it's quite
3: a it. bit of it is in the film. You asked before, what is the film about, or like what what does it include? It actually begins with a bit of history. It does trace the history of the Torah, which also follows the diaspora of the Jewish people, from northern Morocco and northern Spain through Italy into what was then Bohemia, it follows from that time period through several rains and pogroms and situations that the Jewish people and the Torah scrolls had to withstand to make it to this day. And it goes through the Holocaust to the point where the Torah scrolls were discovered in the damp basement of the Mikla Synagogue in Prague and then brought to The Westminster Synagogue. It goes through that restoration time and how it was discovered, actually. Each of these moments in the documentary required tremendous restraint on my part because I could have made episodic television. There are so many stories within this story. So I tried to discipline myself to find the thread of what I felt the Torah was telling me needed to be told. And so with that, we go from. Westminster Synagogue to the arrival in Hawaii and also the welcome back. That ceremony after the Torah signings that congregation uh, were participating in and that we do have in some of them in the film. We then have the celebration and um, really just the feeling that all of this has led to tremendous joy through the sorrow.
1: The premiere of Black Fire, White Fire happens to coincide with the anniversary of Kristallnacht, which is in English, the night of the broken glass. And that was a lot of, well, not a lot. It was complete widespread violence the night of November 9th and 10th in 1938. And that was sort of, I will use the, and Barry, you're going to correct me, I know, but it was sort of like the beginning of some of the real Nazi terror. I mean, it was something that came to the attention of many people at that point. So, and you can correct me on the details of what Kristallnacht was, but it may be coincidence, but what are your thoughts, Sarah, about showing the premiere of Blackfire, Whitefire on that particular night, next Saturday, November 9th? I think it's so perfect
3: that I would almost like to take credit for thinking of it. What happened is we were struggling to find a time that was good for the congregation, that I could come over. I'm living in California now, and I would be able to come over here. And also when Nick Traxler, our generous host at Privateer's Cove, the theater, and he makes that available to the community, which is such a gift, we had to find a date that all of us were available. And it happened to fall on November 9th, another chicken skin moment when I looked it up on a whim And I said, isn't that around the time that Kristallnacht happened? And sure enough, that was the day which most people do say was the, if they had to pick a point that the Holocaust began, and they would pick that point because the Germans went in, you know, the Nazis, and broke the glass of the stores of Jewish merchants. It was a horrible Event. It was so shocking for people who were completely knit into the community to suddenly be ostracized in this way. Yeah, it's perfect. And again, a little feeling that we were getting some help from the white fire.
1: <laughs> if people want to go to the film on Saturday, November 9th, do you want reservations? I, I don't believe you're yes. charging. No, but- we're
3: not charging. This is definitely a gift to the community, a gift to our wonderful Torah, it's free. People can start to arrive at six. We're gonna actually run the film at six thirty. They can go to blackfirewhitefire dot com. All the information, more about the film, a trailer for the film, and the free registration on Eventbrite are all accessible from that site. That's w dot dot
1: com. Okay. What have I not asked that you would like to add, Sarah Neely?
3: There's a few people who were so central to making this happen who really need to be acknowledged. First and foremost, my partner in filmmaking, Keith Neely, who lives in North Kohala still and makes a lot of Hawaiian cultural films and um, preserving words of the kupuna for the future— And really, I could not have done this without him. All of the editing happened in his studio in North Kohala. I did what I could ahead of time, but could not have been done without him. And then the voiceover artist, Ed Green, who is one of the top voiceover artists in the country, agreed to do this because he really, you know, was very moved by the story. And I mentioned Nick Traxler, and of course, Rabbi Moshe Druin, the sofer, or scribe, like Dr. Blum, he's one of the narrators of the film. His storytelling, very, very important. Music of John Keawe is the whole Hawaii section, and Kumu Keala Ching does the oli, and he will be present at the opening oh, wow. as well. Oh,
1: so, very good to
3: do an
2: oli.
1: All right. Well, Sarah Neely, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Barry Blum, in closing, what would you like to add?
2: This is not just a Jewish event. No. This is a human event.
1: Well, yeah, I should have mentioned, you don't have to be Jewish to go to this. I'm not, I'm going. No, (laughs) I
2: know that, but this is a larger concept that we all face. We all have traditions, we all belong to different families, and yet... We're here in Hawaii where we seem to be able to still get along with each other, and this is a good demonstration of that. And if the rest of the world could get along as well as we could, this would be a better
1: place. Aloha huh. Very good. Thank you so much, Dr. Barry Blum, for being part of this discussion. Aloha.
2: A great pleasure. Aloha.
1: And to our listeners, thank you so much for being here with us. This is really quite interesting. I've enjoyed this This is Island Conversations, and I'm Sherry Bracken. And you may sign up for this film made by Sarah Neely and featuring Dr. Barry Blum as one of the narrators, I believe, or in the film. I guess we'll see when I see the film. BlackfireWhiteFire.com. Until next week in another Island Conversations, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahoi ho.
0: Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. Join us next week for another Highland Conversations with Sherry Bracken, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.